My name is Neil Korobov. I'm a professor of psychology at the University of West Georgia. It's tempting to think of poetry as elegant, aesthetic creations that fill us like fresh air and feed us and make us larger. But I think it's also useful sometimes to see poetry as an invitation to release something, to become lighter, a way of emptying, or as that great knife that carves out a clean space in us. But not a space that can be filled again with yet other seductions, but actually poetry as the preservation of a permanent kind of clearing space, where we are free to know ourselves and the world in a way that makes peace with the inevitable press of time. French Horn by Jane Hirschfield For a few days only, the plum tree outside the window shoulders perfection. No matter the plums will be small, eaten only by squirrels and jays. I feast on the one thing, they on another, the shoaling bees on a third. What in this unpleated world isn't someone's seduction? The boy playing his intricate horn in Mahler's fifth, and the gaps between playing, turns it and turns it, dismantles a section, shakes from it the condensation of human passage. He is perhaps twenty. Later he takes his four bows, his face deepening red, while a girl holds a viola's spruce wood and maple in one half-opened hand and looks at him hard. Let the others clap. These two, their ears still ringing, hear nothing. Not the shouts of bravo, bravo. Not the tympanic clamor inside their bodies. As the plums' blossoms do not hear the bee, nor taste themselves turned into storable honey by that sumptuous disturbance. Jane Hirschfield is another one of those poet giants in my life. It was her two books, Nine Gates, and then more recently, Ten Windows, that taught me how to read a poem and how to appreciate poetry and the particular kind of work it does in you. Her poems seem simple, and though her language is exquisitely clean, her poems are loaded and complex and deeply philosophical perhaps in part because she's a Buddhist, and she clearly weaves that into her writing. Choosing just one of her poems felt impossible, but I chose French Horn because the book that it comes from, Come Thief, was a gift given to me by a dear soul who loves poetry, and Jane Hirschfield in particular, probably more than I do. And I recall being given the book and reading this poem first, and then putting the book down for quite some time just to think about that one poem. 
I knew it had just changed my life in the same way Postscript by Seamus Haney did, and I needed time to let that realization sink in, and time as well to recognize the work it was doing in me. I had to read the rest of the book to figure that out, and so in many ways this poem is a tribute to the entire book, Come Thief. Come Thief is about love and attachment, and how we ought not conflate the two, as well as the poignancy of human life lived in a particular kind of way with a particular kind of relationship to time. In the title, The Thief, she is referring to could be many things, but I think primarily for this book and for the poem French Horn, The Thief is Time. Time brings to us the fullness of everything we will experience and with equal force takes it all away. And the central invitation of the book is to ask us how we will respond to that. The more you read Hirschfeld's work, the more you can see that she is trying to find ways to say yes to this process. Yes to what she calls that sumptuous disturbance. Yes to whatever comes, the pain and the ecstasy. Yes to what comes and goes, including everything we will ever love or hate. And finally, yes to ourselves. She sees our lives like paths. Many things will come down those paths. Thieves, lovers, enemies, friends. Yet the path never chooses. The path is inherently open. The path says yes to all. Hirschfeld's gift to us as a poet is to ask us to be such a path and to learn to welcome everything. To observe without judgment and to allow things to happen without attachment. The subject of this poem is the present moment, and our present and precious consciousness towards living and participating in a life filled with so many sumptuous disturbances. To quote her, she says, We human beings, we are very strange creatures. We think we want order. We think we want safety. We think we want security. But really, we want, or what I really want, is to be absolutely overwhelmed, disordered, thrown into chaos and disarray by something absolutely fantastic, which is larger than I am. And almost nothing rivals love for that. The poem French Horn makes sense only against the backdrop of the larger themes in Hirschfeld's work. Like the book Come Thief, this poem isn't particularly difficult, but it is profound and deep and large in the scope of what it asks of us. We have a poem here about plum trees and French horns. As some of you may know, the fruit of the plum tree, the tiny plum tree pebbles, ripen and fall almost immediately, a sign of transience. They represent time vanishing from under your feet, and whatever perfection or fullness it gives you also vanishes. Plums sour or are stolen. Hirschfeld calls these moments of vanishing sumptuous disturbances, 
and we spend our lifetime struggling into the right relationship with these disturbances. The first big one-off line of the poem comes soon in when she asks us, what in this unpleaded world isn't someone's seduction? This line is heavy and beautiful. It asks us, what is it that we feast on? We are all drawn fully and impossibly to one thing or another, all of us seduced by something in this world, something that because of its relation to mortality is also inevitably tethered to time. Our seductions ripen for a short window of time, then fall and vanish. Harvest is short and sweet. What in this unpleaded world isn't someone's seduction? She then speaks with the boy playing the French horn and the girl playing the viola. Their beautiful music has just ripened for the audience, the harvest of their training and labor, now filling the hearts of the onlookers with appreciation. But Hirschfeld says, let others clap. Let others praise and be drawn in by the seduction of this beautiful music, now lingering in, in the air, hanging for a moment. The boy and the girl, they hear nothing. Why? Why don't they hear anything? This is a massive question. Perhaps that they do not hear is more instructive than descriptive. Perhaps Hirschfeld is imploring them and us to hear nothing. This poem is reminding us, like she is perhaps reminding these two young musicians, that the joys in life are brief and tricky and that it may be foolish to become too attached to the applause. We know that the Buddhist philosophy teaches us that attachment is the beginning of suffering, and so we can see how this poem attempts to capture us and hold us right in that precious moment, that nexus, before attachment takes hold. The whole of the poem is about intercepting us right in that space between the openness of gratitude and the attachments of seduction. There are huge lessons here for those of us who give ourselves daily in our teaching. Lessons about our relationship to the fruits of our labors and love. It's true that we pour ourselves into our work, but we give ourselves not for the other's applause or validation, but rather we offer up what we do as part of the natural arc of living and participating and letting go. This reminds me of the line from Seamus Haney's postscript where he asks us to become the kind of hurry through which known and strange things pass, though here now, in the midst of sumptuous disturbances. I think the poem is also at its core about permeability. This idea becomes more clear when you read this poem alongside the other poems in Come Thief. It is not simply about the inevitability of the vanishing perfection of the plum tree, but also about our willingness to let that happen, about our willingness to become permeable to everything and everyone and our lives as well. The last poem of the book is called The Supple Deer, and it brings that point home vividly. The opening of the poem reads, 
The quiet opening between fence strands, perhaps 18 inches. Antlers to hind hooves, four feet off the ground. The deer poured through. No tuft of the coarse white belly hair left behind. I don't know how a stag turns into a stream, an arc of water. In this first part of the poem, she describes a deer who stands four and a half feet tall and how it is able to effortlessly leap through the opening between 18-inch fence posts with no tuft of belly hair left behind, a clean and perfect, seemingly impossible passing through, like a stream or arc of water. She then writes, and here is the key line that ends the poem, I have never felt such accurate envy, not of the deer, to be that porous, to have such largeness pass through me. She feels envy, but it is not envy of the deer, but of the fence which allows such largeness to pass right through it. And this is interesting. When I first read this, I thought of the deer and how most of us might be envious of the deer, a creature that can shapeshift and strategically maneuver to accommodate its surroundings, and how we are endlessly instructed by our culture to be dexterous and able to shift who we are to get by in different situations. Adaptability, right? I spoke earlier in a different talk about how the best teachers teach from their gifts, not their strategies. And so I'm reminded of that again here. For Hirschfeld, it's the fence that draws her envy. The fence that allows such largeness to pass through. The fence does not grab or hold or snag, but rather allows with equal equanimity comings and goings. Again, I'm reminded of the image in the hurry in Seamus Haney's poem. How we all long to be that clearing space where beauty can pass through on an open palm, where love can transpire without the weight of our attachment, without our grasping hands. There are many things that are instructive here for teachers about becoming the right kinds of human beings when it comes to attachment, attachment of our teaching and of our students. I have a colleague whose students fall in love with him regularly, and he does so well to remind them to fall in love with the text, with the material and ideas and process that they are both giving themselves to and holding together, to let themselves delight in becoming that hurry through which known and strange things pass. In perhaps one of my favorite poems ever, called Loves by Stephen Dunn, he says, When students fall in love with me, I want to tell them that the dream won't last and that there are more pleasures in the text. This is true. There are more pleasures in that which binds us, and how we hold loosely, if we're lucky, and how we celebrate that generative porousness that finally, I think, allows us to make peace with the thief that is time.
French Horn by Jane Hirschfield. For a few days only, the plum tree outside the window shoulders perfection. No matter the plums will be small, eaten only by squirrels and jays. I feast on the one thing, they on another, the shoaling bees on a third. What in this unpleated world isn't someone's seduction? The boy playing his intricate horn in Mahler's fifth, and the gaps between playing, turns it and turns it, dismantles a section, shakes from it the condensation of human passage. He is perhaps twenty. Later he takes his four boughs, his face deepening red, while a girl holds a viola's spruce wood and maple in one half-opened hand and looks at him hard. Let the others clap. These two, their ears still ringing, hear nothing. Not the shouts of bravo, bravo, not the tympanic clamor inside their bodies. As the plums' blossoms do not hear the bee, nor taste themselves turned into storable honey by that sumptuous disturbance. Under the lion, heavier breath, have I a mouth made? Leans to your The poem French Horn by Jane Hirschfield is from her book Come Thief. A special thanks to the University of West Georgia for providing the time and resources to create this project.